0: Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, you're joined by your boy, Heavy Days, here from the Upside Down Library, and we are incredibly grateful to all of our sponsors, Seeds Here Now, number one seed bank in the industry, all the greatest breeders, the hottest drops, the latest strains, anything you could want, they got it, and they offer a guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Check them out guys, they got what you need. A big old welcome to our newest sponsor, Pulse Sensors. You know and love them for their amazing smart sensors that give you instant notifications for when your grow room parameters are off for some reason. Temperature, humidity, VPD, part levels, you name it they'll help you fine-tune your grow room so that you have the most incredible crop to date from the single tent to the single room to the commercial facility they got you covered get serious guys get pulse i use them in my garden get on it a big thank you to pulse likewise shout out simply souvenirs an incredible seed bank based out of the UK, stocking only the highest quality breeders, as well as a range of smoking accessories and a whole lot more. Please check out their site. They've got so many amazing products on there. You're going to be surprised you hadn't heard of them already. If you're in the UK or Europe, check out Simply Souvenirs for your one-stop premium boutique seed and accessory store. Thank you so much, guys. Simply Souvenirs. We appreciate it huge shout out to our friends at Copet Biological Systems with everything you need to ensure that your harvest is pumping on all pistons firing on all cylinders and giving you the highest grade harvest to date free of pest pathogens with their wide range of beneficial predators including the active and the spidex vital they'll keep your garden happy and healthy And last but not least, the Patreon gang. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The one and only. We could not make episodes happen without you. If you would like to get early access to upcoming episodes, exclusive unreleased content, bonus episodes with Bob Hemphill, Mean Gene, Bodie, 707 Seedbank, Home, Jungles, the list goes on. Please consider checking out the Patreon. www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. Hello and welcome back to part two of our chat with the crew from White Buffalo Seeds. Talking all things Canadian history, land race, strains and so much more. Let's get back into it guys. I noticed you, you work with seed banks but you also sell via your own site and I've seen that this is becoming a more increasingly popular option for a lot of breeders and I'm sort of wondering do you think we're moving to like a direct sales model eventually with breeder and customer or do you think seed banks will always be sort of the mainstay?
1: I think that, um, I don't know, I hate to say it, but I think it, eventually it's going to be an all legal model. It just, it'll just it be, uh, at some point it'll be a lot easier to get, uh, you know, get into the system and create legal seeds. I mean, it's already there. Like you can do, you can create legal seeds in Canada. You just got to go through and get a, you know, you have to have a, a little bit of money to invest. I think, uh yeah, at some point it's going to be more like um garden seeds or whatever.
2: Weed uh, won't be valuable to grow. It'll be like a tomato, you know, when we get to that spot when everything is fucking hemp fiber and hemp bricks everywhere and weed plants everywhere. And, you know, it, it'll be like a tomato or a strawberry or anything else. Yeah, you know?
1: it's just going to be like, think of how there's so many... um there's been so many new breeders in the last 10 years. Like it's just exploded like the amount of breeders. Um, And you know, there's only only um, you know, you only need so many uh, like there's only the markets only buying so many seeds. Uh, I don't know. I think at some point it's just, it's just going to be all legal because it'll just be the path of least resistance. Um, There really is no, you know, most countries there's not a way to sell seeds legally, but in Canada there is, and I can see how uh, in the future that'll just be uh, the model for everywhere. Like there'll be like I know most places now, most countries now they're um, that are legalizing or whatever have a med program. Um, there's a way for to get cannabis into the legal seed registration program. Like there's the I think it's like United Nations seed program and every country in in the world has their version of it, um, and they just have to put cannabis in there, more or less, but then... um, Like, there's all sorts of complications with politics, from what I understand. Like, uh, uh, you can't... uh, Like, right now, you can't really export stuff around the world because everyone's got quotas for, like, in the recreational side of things. Like, the UN won't allow... A recreational export, but there's medical export, and eventually, I think eventually there's just going to be like everything's going to be open at some point. But we're just like going through growing pains. Growing, well, growing pains are really like, extreme growing pains.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and do you think you'll be able to continue your operation in approximately the same sort of way it is now going forward with legalization, or do you sort of fear the big ag moving in type of thing?
1: Uh, well, what's happening is like we were talking about Pink Kush. The end of Pink Kush. The end of the like Pink Kush era. Um, these guys, when they hit the wall, the Pink Kush is not selling anymore. Well, uh, a lot of them are saying, "Well, what do I got to do to become to get a legal commercial license?" And like it happened a decade ago in the medical side of things, um, all sorts of guys, were, you know, growing black market had no intention of joining the the system and getting a like a medical license because at that time it was like at the in the very beginning you could only get it you know it was hard to get it more than a few plants um uh like a license license yeah yeah there's the licenses were by basically by plant count so but like over the past 10 years that is like things have loosened up and doc you know there's like these uh like gray area kind of doctors that are or even like nurses, nurse practitioners, that you know they understand how the law works and how we have to do to to um, get licenses for like a bunch of people um, with you know like like a, a much higher plant counts than what was previously possible. Um, so, anyways, like the the whole like. Um, Pink Kush thing exploded. These guys need to uh figure out like they they were hesitant back in the medical days, they were hesitant about getting licensed through the government. Um, but eventually, everyone did. Eventually, there's like no even the holdouts they were like, I'm never gonna do it, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they're like, they're,
2: they all got their
1: license. The hardest, sure. the hardest. Uh, old timers right? that would like they would you know like the most uh anti uh like establishment guys like they all went and got uh licenses because it's like uh um in california when they had the you know their medical program um they just the doctors figured out how you know how to disseminate a whole bunch of licenses and get a bunch of money for it it's the same deal here so if there's money to be made um, you know, you can sell out, you know, get a bunch of licenses, um, to people. And, uh, like, and that it was, you know, it all comes down to like how e- like how much of a pain in the ass is it to get a license basically. And they've just made it like really easy to get a license. <laughs> so there's really no reason not to get a license. Uh, but, uh, like in the future, I think that it's going to be the same way for commercial, uh, Micro, like commercial cannabis licenses in Canada. Um, it'll just be like they've, we've already seen it in the past. Uh, the program started in 2013. Our legal uh, recreation, uh, like our legal, like com- uh, commercial. MMR? No, no. no oh, talk- oh, no. Yeah. yeah, it was MMR uh, originally. Yeah. yeah. Our, like it was basically our legal commercial framework started in. 2013 and uh like initially those first guys that that got into the system um like there's a bunch of big guys that got into the system initially and then um like a bunch of those early guys that got into the system had no idea or like they were trying to get into the system they had no idea what the hell you know like what they needed to do because they like everything was kind of like vague like they had um you know it was just a new system it was
2: hard to get information yeah
1: Yeah. Like the, um, there was a lot of like money that was wasted. Um, and it was just costing millions and millions of dollars. Um, but now like nowadays you for $15,000, uh, for like $15,000, basically you needed to have at least $15,000 for one year, uh, to get your like micro cultivation license. Um, and and a facility that's like up to spec but the for the micro guys the um requirements are a lot more relaxed so uh like it took a while to get these micro licenses uh, as part of the canadian system but you know now now that they've introduced them and now that they're um like pumping out the licenses um it's a lot easier like there's and you can there's guys selling like a- application, uh, like an application uh, template. Basically, um, you just like fill in your your stuff and uh, go get your license. They're pumping out uh, four to eight licenses a week. That's like standard and micro cultivation in Canada. So there's like eight hundred and some licensees right now. Um, so yeah, eventually, like I can see. But, it, I mean, it's going to be the same thing. Like, is I don't know, there's only so much weed that can be grown and sold, like, within our market, and we can't, the recreational market can't, right now, they can't export any of it. They can only export medical uh, stuff, and it generally has to be, like, EU-compliant because a lot of it's going to... Uh, europe and then there's some going to uh, australia yeah
0: (laughs) yes there are definitely a few australians who have been the uh the beneficiaries of the canadian system but i think nowadays uh there's there's quite a few facilities online in australia so there's some options out there i did want to take a moment to jump over to the legendary roberts creek congo a lot of questions relating to this one. I believe it originated from one of your good buddies, Vision Creator, and he's pretty tight with you guys. Would you be able to give us a bit of a backstory on it?
1: Yeah, I'll start off the story. Um, when I was working with Reefer Man, when we were in Amsterdam, we were um, hanging out with uh, D- uh, Doobie and uh, Kaiki from Canabio and and uh, Ace and, uh, Seeds. Um, and uh, we had like we had established uh, like a bit of a you know friendship there previous to that, and uh, we just uh, decided to trade some seeds. And uh, when we got back to Canada, they sent uh, some seeds, and uh, the Congo was one of the varieties. And um, Reeferman passed it along to Vision Creator, and uh, Scabby was actually uh, working with. Vision Creator at the time, so they started those seeds, and,
2: and uh, yeah, we were like doing big outdoor grows at the time, <clears throat> doing like two, three thousand plants at a time, and grabbing all kinds of genetics and just going through. Bam, bam, bam. Uh, the whole basement was filled with different fenos, and I'd wake up every day and like grab a different fenno or something to try. It was really fun times. But that Congo plant that came out was one of the best in that year. With um, it, uh the Trinity cut was something that really reminded me of like in the same kind of realm. Like, uh, we did them the same year and they were like back and back like that. Right. Yeah. And, uh, the rest is history, I guess. Uh, Robbie is uh, spread the word of the Congo and it, I mean, it's a really good plant to grow. It's easy to grow. It's got a pretty wicked, uh, beginner sativa high, I like to call it. And, uh, you know people like that lemon boot polishy, it's sexy, people like that, and uh, yeah, it's a good plant. I think more people should grow it definitely
0: yes, it you know what I'll be honest, I actually wasn't familiar with it until I was at a good good friend of the show, Mr. Bob Hemphill. I was at his house, and he pulled out a jar and and he only really has good weed, so to speak, you know, like really cool old school stuff and I was like, "What's this?" He's like, "Oh, it's the Congo man. Like, it's it's the real deal." And um, I remember being very impressed by the bud structure, very very bulky. And he said to me that, like, he had heard rumors it might have been crossed with an Afghani or some sort of indica.
1: Well, we we uh, we submitted that one to Phylos and it didn't link up with anything. So kind of like,
2: and when you grow it out and you grow the crosses,
1: you see you like you see
2: what's in something like you know you, you can yeah. tell if it's been crossed with an after yeah we've crossed no it
1: we've crossed it with so no many way. things like so many sativas like that if you know if we grew out a bunch of them you'd think we'd hit something like that but we've never
2: never come yeah. and like
1: all the seeds we put out there with uh congo sativa crosses it's like we never get anyone coming back saying hey
2: this is a short spot <laughs> and know
1: well
0: sure so you think yeah. like it's just really truly like a a special fast flowering and the structure just it's like you know just really one of a kind
2: well like after growing a lot of africans and it's in that time frame you know it's like really high on the terpene which is different you know like the terpene but you know i'm sure there's fucking everything so what were
1: what were the um the uh siblings of that like
2: oh god i can't even remember honestly was
1: -hmm. it like really Really crazy hempy phenos.
2: Oh yeah, 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 definitely. There were there were some phenos that were uh, very uh, Medusa headed and you know, spread out
1: for sure. Yeah, and like uh, stuff with running calyxes, anything yep, like that. Yeah,
2: definitely. But the like the the high end terpene content of that plant is what makes it really special, definitely.
0: And why do you think it's like? Got this real cult following, but hasn't quite truly broke through to the mainstream quite yet. Because I remember when I tried it, I was like, "This is some of the best weed I've ever smoked." Um, but yet, I myself hadn't heard of it like ten minutes prior to that, you know. And I, I was a bit like, "You know, I'm I I, I know a lot of strains." You know what I mean? Like it it really makes me feel a bit caught out. Um, why do you think it's not more well known?
1: I think it's got its own special enigma. Like it it decides where it wants to go and uh, who wants to grow it. And uh, people that aren't supposed to be growing it, maybe they lose their plants or something. I don't know. Like we've been sending cuts down to the States for years and it should be all over the place. Um, But, you know, one thing I figured out about Canada over the years, because we've had this, uh, you know, more of a protective environment or more of a tolerant environment like in the past, um, and and because of everyone like it's more of an indoor uh, dominated society, we've just got it's more conducive to saving cuttings because there's everyone's pretty much everyone's got a, a room or like a light going year round, you know, or during you know at all times when it's needed. So I think it's just uh, it's easier for uh, cuts to circulate in Canada. Like, I think there may be in the States, uh, you know, it's more, there'll be more outdoor growers. Um, It just seems like uh, there's just more cuts being held or just like, you know, for the amount of people we have here, you know, our population's 10% of the States. Um, I think we have a high proportion of, you know, people holding cuts just because they can, you know, you got a spot to hold them. Uh, There's less cuts being lost basically what
0: i'm trying to say yeah nice and out of out of curiosity have you guys ever uh grown out any like s1s of it and sort of seen what that had inside it
2: um no but that's like a dream that's like right here in front of us right now at this moment in time so we'll get there soon oh
1: are you doing
0: fm right now
1: i'm just um i'm just uh starting to uh experiment with some uh some feminization like I'm I did some femini- I've done some feminization in the past and I just don't like the the uh, chemistry of silver thiosulfate because it's got a bunch of sodium in the mix like the actual uh, chemistry you mix um, sodium thiosulfate and silver uh, silver nitrate and the molecules swap so you have silver thiosulfate but also in the same solution you have sodium nitrate. So every time you're spraying your plants with, it's not like I'm not, um, I'm not trying to like be critical of it. It's just for me, like um, I'm I'm interested in chemistry. So I want to try, I just want to try some other um, alternate formulations. Like I've tried, um, I just tried um, instead of sodium thiosulfate, I thought to myself, well, let's try calcium thiosulfate. And so we made, um, silver thios, thiosulfate and then the other molecule is calcium nitrate that it makes in the same solution because you're, you're like when you make sodium when you make a silver thiosulfate it's a co it's like a co-solution there's like two solutions going on in there like you don't separate out the sodium nitrate so and just uh, i'm just wondering um in my mind i'm just curious you know maybe we can maybe there's uh because like from what I understand, like I don't have a lot of experience with uh, reversals, but I did enough just to like to know how it works. But yeah, in my mind, like um, I want, I just want to try uh, a bunch of different other silver molecules because, uh, like the the basic theory is um, that you're trying to get. As mu- you're trying to get a bunch of silver loaded into the plant, and when you get re- when you reach a critical uh, amount of silver, that's when the plant starts uh, like the hormones start flipping, and they start producing uh, hormones for you know to make male flowers. Um, so yeah, I'm trying a bunch of different uh, silver formulations. Uh, I just made made silver citrate, so I took silver nitrate. Converted it into silver oxide with uh like uh, uh with lye, sodium hydroxide, and then uh, mixed up with uh, citric acid, and then it made uh citri- uh, s- uh, so, uh silver citrate in solution. Um, so I'm you know I'm just gonna try making a bunch of these molecules, and uh, I think the um the first one I tried this silver biosulfate calcium nitrate solution. Uh, Worked out pretty good, but it's a calcium nitrate is a double, it's a double vegging nutrient. So calcium is a veg nutrient and nitrate is a veg nutrient. Um, So it's like hitting a flowering plant with a double veg nutrient is not really helping it want to flower. So I want to, like, I'm going to try this uh, silver citrate next, just to, I'm just going to try it just to see what it does. Um, And then I'll, I'll just spray the other stuff as well. Um, just to compare the reactions
0: are there any specific concerns about using a standard STS solution that you hope to overcome by using this alternative one
1: well the in my mind my concern is uh, by spraying the plant with silver uh, sodium the plant does not want to take up sodium so maybe it's going to be like not you know it's not fully going to be able to upload that silver. Um, okay. And it's also like, it's just not healthy. You know, if we have the option of not spraying sodium onto the plant, can we, you know, can we choose that option? Is that possible?
0: That sounds pretty reasonable. We, I actually had a discussion with a, a friend of mine the other day and we were linking some papers to each other. And there's there's actually a few different chemicals you can use. You can also use a cobalt chloride solution.
1: Yeah, that's all.
0: Yeah, if you're okay with chloride, if you're okay with um cobalt and chloride, there's also another molecule. It's like three methyl or something.
1: Yeah, yeah, I know, I know which ones you're talking about. Those ones are um. Yeah, I'm I'm not interested in that other stuff.
0: Or well, what? What about just just straight up colloidal silver?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like i I've heard that that's not super reliable.
0: Yeah, I I think it's less less effective. You got to spray it more often and for longer.
1: Yeah, you got to spray it a lot. So the other molecules I want to try are um. What was the next one? Silver. Silver biglycinate. It's never been, as far as I've under uh, as far as I understand, it's never been. It's never been synthesized before.
0: It's, it sounds like it's chelated with two glycines, which is amino acid. Exactly. Right? Yeah.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So it's like, uh, uh, you can go to the health food store and get, uh, all your minerals now as bioglycinates, calcium bioglycinate, uh, magnesium. So, um, I figured out, uh, I think I figured out the path. Like, I think you gotta, you gotta make silver oxide and then, and then, uh, do a swap between silver oxide and, glycine
0: solution i've also heard you can use just gibberellic acid
1: that's right but that one's also not super reliable from what i understand and but i've like i've heard something i heard like back in the day is um you spray your uh your ga before you spray your silver or after like one of the two and it it, it, like gives a boost it gives a boost to the silver that's what i've heard
0: yeah I, i've heard that it can increase the pollen rates because the gibberellic acid you know how you've got like a, a pollen cluster it like it causes it all to elongate
1: yeah and it'll shoot it'll shoot the like it'll spread the uh the this the, the stamens apart and it probably helps with the ejection of the pollen to to get it out of that stamen. like uh w- like when i was just doing some experiments there i um one of the plants I sprayed, it wasn't like ejecting pollen. So, but when I dried it and crushed it in my fingertips, there's a bunch of pollen there on my fingertips. And I looked at it uh, under scope. I was looking at the inside of that stamen and the inside of the stamen, it's like super cool. It's like a a geode. It's like a crystal geode, but just covered with pollen grains. So like the whole inside of those stamen are growing. uh, It's just like a, 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 a layer of a pollen growing on the inside of it.
0: That's awesome.
1: The the one one of the plants I sprayed, they just weren't detaching, so they just didn't have enough oomph to finish the like to finish the maturation and like crystallize, so that this the shit can like detach.
0: Yeah. Sure. So, and. Out of um, interest for our listeners, are there any specific sort of feminized projects you're hoping to do? Like any, like, kind of, like you know, so I think you've alluded that the Roberts Creek Congo, you're going to reverse that. So we might see some hybrids with that in the future.
1: Uh, Well, basically, we're going to reverse everything and cross it to everything.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Every permutation possible. That's my goal. Like everything that everything that uh, everything that's tested, you know, like tested cuttings that we have in our collection, we've got like uh, fifty. We keep like fifty cuts at a time, generally. And I like we like to get like occasionally we get rid of, you know, we'll purge a bunch of stuff that, uh, um, you know, like just I just like to get rid of stuff. I'm like, yeah, this stuff is good, but uh, like you know, we have other stuff that's better in that particular category. Um, or like it's we did some breeding with it and it wasn't a good breeder so like yeah get it out of here
0: so given you've got this like incredible collection of females but not necessarily having been able to cross them together but now being able to which two females are you really excited to see like the offspring of
1: well all of them that's a silly question yeah you
2: never know man once you start doing this you realize <laughs> that um you can make good uh good choices by having good goals to go towards, you know, and getting used to knowing the plants and what you're doing and how they grow and what you want to add to that or take away from that. So yeah, it's really, uh, I mean, you got to do everything. It's
1: yeah. And the other <laughs> thing is like the coolest shit comes out of the most unexpected that's places. Right. Yeah, definitely. Like you, should, you just got to grow everything. Like basically that's what you got to do as a, As someone that's uh, looking for stuff, is you just got to grow everything you can get your hands on. Yeah, grow it. Grow it all and uh, smoke it all and then uh, like keep the best and then grow them again. You know, like you got to grow everything again. Several times. Yeah. Smoke it all again. Before it gets into the house.
0: That's a good recipe. So out, out of curiosity, I noticed you guys have got the Congo Creek Haze. It sounds insane. Would you recommend it for someone like myself who loves the Congo and wants to have something similar to that, or do you think the haze is like you know quite dominant and maybe there's an alternative cross you offer where you get a bit more of that Congo?
1: Uh, if you don't mind, uh, like they can go between uh, like eleven to fifteen weeks. If you don't mind running that long, I would highly recommend the haze Con- Congo Kush. Definitely,
2: hundred percent, grow it.
1: Yeah, because it's actually way it's actually well in our we like it better. I like it better than the Congo for sure. Yeah, yeah. it's extra extra yeah. special. Yeah,
2: it's like the Congo for me has a short high. Uh, the duration of the high isn't very long, I, and I think that might be like something to do with plants in that time frame. Not
1: sure. Yeah, it's a faster finishing plant. You can't. So expect the high it.
2: is kind. Of, yeah, like yeah. So yeah, that makes sense for sure. Yeah. But uh, so the haze, it has that longer leg high on it, right? That longer creative high for a musician or a writer or a drawer or a dancer or whatever, you know, to get into that
1: place. Yeah, nice. Yeah, and it, it adds a bit more complexity into the flavors, too. Sure does, yeah. But I mean, there's there's such, like, the Congo has such a cult following that people, they just want the Congo. Like, a lot of people, just they just want that Congo. They don't want, like, no. If you said Congo haze to them, they would, like, slap you. They'd be like, no, I just want the Congo.
0: <laughs> oh, that's all right. I'm not that much of a purist. I would be interested to know, though, given you guys have grown such a wide diversity of, you know, equatorial strains and various sativas, do you have any sort of tips for people to grow them indoors? Like, I know that I've got this friend. He's an older guy. And he grows a lot of Thai, and he puts heating mats under his pots, and he's like, when I asked him about it, he goes, "Oh I, I think I'm replicating the soil temperature of the equatorial regions." I was like, that's kind of interesting. Any weird, fun creative tips you've got yeah, at all?
1: like I don't necessarily agree with that because a lot of the equatorial stuff is growing at elevation, so like
0: sure, sure.
1: they're going to be yeah, and like uh like they might they might be. Some of those spots like Colombia, it's not necessarily super warm there. Like, you go into Bogota, it's fucking cold as fuck. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, not cold as fuck, but it's like, uh, what was Medellin's, Med- like... Uh,
2: oh, the Eternal Spring, right? Uh, so, uh, yeah, but it did get pretty cold there in the nights, right? So, and that, those Colombian uh, genetics... And like, the guys
1: that are growing are, like, up in the hills. Yeah, so
2: definitely <laughs> up in the hills. Those Colombian genetics add a lot of hardiness into anything we throw them into. So, that's one of the things the biosphere of Colombia has presented great genetics for our use.
0: Yeah, nice. Okay. Well, I mean, do you have any other tips for people to do indoor sativas? I think uh, DJ Short says he likes to do, instead of 1212, 12, like 1113. Do you do anything different like that, or you just approach it straightforward?
1: You know, what I like to do is. Um do the first eight weeks on a 12-12 schedule and then after eight weeks flip it down to uh, uh, 11-13 uh, and then uh, and then for a couple of weeks and then and then down to like uh, 10-14 for to the finish so like yeah because you know they're not they're not going to want to finish uh, like in uh, eight weeks early like, you know there, there's no real advantage to flip in my mind to flipping the light down until like after
0: eight weeks yeah sure that makes sense
1: yeah so the tip is to try and get your plants down to ten fourteen, um because otherwise they're just going to keep spitting out pistols a lot of those tropical plants
0: that's a good tip because i hear that a lot from guests that they have strains that'll do that
1: yeah you just got to get you got to get it down to ten fourteen or or 11, 13. The more it wants to keep flowering, the the more you have to reduce it, basically. (laughs) But like some plants, they just just need like 20 weeks or 22 weeks and there's just nothing you can do about it.
0: The slow burn. (laughs) One of the questions I like to ask all of the guests we have on who have like, you know, quite diverse seed libraries is what seeds in your library are like the most special to you and what ones are you most keen to run?
2: Ooh, that's a tough question oh for me i always like uh i have these seeds called rapa nui uh easter island and i've always like fantasized about something special coming out of that in a weird way but yeah but for me yeah that's something that we really really yeah to it's like
1: really hard to like i was saying the weird the coolest shit comes out of the weirdest places so i just don't i mean definitely the tropical stuff um because that's what we like to grow.
2: Yeah, it gives the great highs and the great creative highs, and and uh, yeah, it's just the. Uh, I think as we move forward, as like a people, you know, we will evolve uh, a finer taste to cannabis, kind of like, like the way we do with wine, and it'll become more socially acceptable, and you know, we'll get to share these things more often. You know, as people proliferate those genes more and more.
0: Yeah, for sure so while we're on the topic of growing from a, a question or two ago i haven't asked you guys yet what uh style of growing do you use are you soil are you soilless cocoa hydro what's your preferred method
1: uh cocoa two-thirds cocoa one-third perlite and we make our own compost and we uh pre-mix the compost uh like one to ten or one to eight or whatever into that mix and uh test it, get a soil test and um, just uh, ba- just do basically water only, but uh, maybe throw in a few things that might be needed along the way. Try to keep it as simple as possible because because um, we grow so many plants and we're we're growing everything in the same mix from like the craziest sativas uh, to like the most like sensitive sativas, um, to like the most uh hungriest uh indica things um but but what we figured out is we just gotta the more sensitive stuff we'll just put less compost into it but like they all seem to like uh the 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 plants like people you know plants are like people they all seem to like uh a certain uh type of food. <laughs> <coughs> Like they're all they all seem to be reasonably happy with the same like meal. <laughs> yeah, I just we just try to keep it simple. Our compost is made from uh a bunch of the old cocoa mix as the bulking medium as the like the browns, the carbon. And then we um we get a bunch of like uh alfalfa uh soy meal. Soybean meal. Yeah, uh like 6-rock phosphate. phosphate, fish bone meal, dolomite lime, oh. high calcium lime, gypsum. gypsum. Um, and then a bunch of the old compost, we'll throw that in there and the, like 5% as an inoculant. Um, and we were using, uh, we made some IMOs, like KNF style IMOs to inoculate the compost piles before with just like
2: uh, Indigenous microbes. Yeah,
1: I am always from our forest around here, and then and then trace minerals. And uh, lately, we've been we take a bunch of like sulfate trace minerals and dissolve them in water, and then mix them into biochar, and throw that in there. It's pretty like pretty complicated. Um, I don't really. It's not like a method I recommend that people try as you know unless they really want to experiment. But uh, we've been like experimenting for uh like 15 years on various recipes but we're finally like right now the latest recipe is like super close to um to where it needs to be and uh like the last uh three years we figured out how to like the like where the recipe needs to be to to um totally uh impervious to powdery mildew like the like our plants don't grow like they they won't grow powdery mildew is, uh, like we basically we figured out when you get a soil test there's something called a base saturation for the, the cations cation base saturation that's like your calcium there's the cation exchange sites and they basically they they measure um, how much of each of those ions each of those cations is on the those cation exchange sites like the ratio and uh, they we measure calcium, potassium, magnesium, uh, sodium, and hydrogen. And uh, uh, what we figured out is to like what worked for us is to to get that calcium number as like insanely high as possible, and and to use a bunch of different calcium sources. We've got like seven different types of calcium in our mix, which is, includes the 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 rock phosphate as a source of calcium and the uh, Fishbone meal, like the stuff that has a lot of calcium in it. So, uh, according to Kerry Reams, um, he was saying that there's so many different calcium molecules, so it's like nice to have all those different calcium molecules available for the plant.
0: Very comprehensive, but yet still organic, and thus a man after my heart. I love it. When you opened up with uh, <laughs> cocoa, I was like, okay, here we go, here we go, I'm getting ready for it
2: and like uh fish this time of year, you know, we're on the coast, we'll take some fish and throw it in a bucket and make some for a lot, you know, let it eat eat up and you know. So yeah, the, the local stuff is good. You know, we try to get our stuff as local as we
1: can. Yeah, we're trying to um trying to close the loop as much as possible.
0: I love it. I want to quickly ask you, what's the backstory on the BC Mango? Because there's a a breeder in Australia, his name's Ski Mask Seeds, shout out. Uh, He's worked at a few generations and he's doing some fun stuff with it. And so I was sort of interested to hear uh, the backstory on it and what sort of traits do you remember it having?
1: Uh, Well, I've never grown out that particular hybrid, but uh, I've seen test grows of it. Um, It is, the cross is drumroll please. The female was Dutch Passion mango. Was it Dutch Passion that had the mango?
0: I think it might have been Casey Brains. Casey
1: Brains, Casey Brains yeah, also, Casey Brains. Yeah. That's right. Casey Brains. That was a uh, a BC, like a BC selected yeah, cut, or like a Vancouver Island selected cut of of the mango. And then uh, a guy named Detox in like a uh, mid Vancouver Island, uh, he crossed it with Cream Sodica. Huh. We grew out a bunch of those, and we just there's like those things are all over the place. Like, like I said, that cream sodica will give you every variation of color possible, <laughs> leaf color, bud color, uh, all sorts of like they're really dense. Those cream sodica uh, crosses, so they're they're really nice. Like they look nice and stuff. The high is not like super strong or anything. No, not <laughs> a very good high. Enough. Um, but uh, we've selected out uh, a semi auto fennel of that. That's like super hard to keep in it was super hard to keep in veg. And when you would put it out, it just wouldn't it, it was it was like the mighty mite, you'd put it out and, and it would only grow uh like three feet tall or whatever. For all intents and purposes, it was auto <laughs> um, but I classified as semi-auto. So, anyways, that was that was the female side, and uh we crossed that with uh, uh northern mites that came from Steve Tuck. And Steve Tuck used to work in Holland for I believe he worked for uh Sensi uh, or Dutch Passion, one of those. So he he claimed he had like a, a good NL line and it seemed to be all right. Nice. Yeah. But they like that 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 particular NL line, I grew it outdoors in uh, BC and it actually like this shit actually worked outdoors. So like, yeah, it actually uh, had good mold resistance and was relatively early.
0: Interesting stuff. Another another cutting from back in the day, the UBC chemo. That was like a real famous Canadian clone. Um, and you occasionally see people bring it up today, but not too many people have it. What, what made that cut unique, you know? And, and how would you describe it to people? I've never tried it or smelled it. So I've got no idea what it's like.
1: I would call it uh wheelchair weed. Wheelchair. Like it didn't have a lot of character, but it had good uh medicinal properties, like very uh narcoleptic and and uh have, you
2: know green it. apple, sour green apple kind of yeah,
1: and it was nice uh they're kind of like they look like it looked like a Nepalese kind yeah, of yeah, across sure. to me. Definitely had really like uh serrated, sharp, uh thin leaves.
2: And there was two Fennos. There was a short Fennel from Montreal and then the West. Yeah, coast. but that's
1: not that's has nothing to do yeah, with yeah, the ABC yeah, chemo. Yeah, they, there's, yeah. there, there was another chemo in in Montreal that like kind of confused the situation. Yeah, yeah, But it was like unrelated. <laughs> but ironically it came from BC, from some some dready. Deadman Island. <laughs> Is that what they said? Yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> and Denman Island. Oh, Deadman Island.
2: But the French guy kept saying, Deadman Island. And I'm like, Deadman Island. <laughs> oh, Denman Island. <laughs>
0: that's great are there any other canadian genetics that you think deserve more of a rep but have never really got the attention they merit
1: well a lot there's a lot of stuff that's extinct that we can't even say you know like that queen who knows like and some of those hash plants are pretty cool they're just not like a lot of the stuff back then was a little bit rougher like it's not the same it's you know it's like tops out at 20 percent or uh, 20 whatever percent thc like the that's the difference like the the this you know the stalks, the the trichome stocks are smaller you know like they're not the this really flashy weed from today with really long trichome stalks that that like bend over and reflect the light really well and like cover all the foliage so all you see are like these shiny trichomes you know trichome stalks. like so yeah just on the like the cannabinoid ratio and the way it looks and you know not as um It's not as uh, nice in the bag. Yeah,
2: it's definitely evolved, for sure. And,
1: like, uh, the flavors were different back then. Like, the hash plant was really uh, uh, rancid. Yeah,
2: that lizard. It was, like,
1: rancid, um, like, uh, popcorn parts. And and, uh, um, (laughs) it just reminded me of, like, something like rancid oils or something. Like, rancid uh, 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 socks. <laughs> stinky old random socks. I was gonna say pea pants, but I didn't want to bring pee into it. So <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the god the old Godbud is kind of a cool one. Yeah. The uh the Jordan godbud. Yeah, yeah. And that's uh it's like an Afghani uh perps back cross, like you had like a sensi afghan Afghan one or something like that. Um that uh they had there was an old cut called perps that was uh from the island. It's like an Afghani or Pakistani or something. Um, and it would finish outside, but it's like not, uh, it's, it's good. It's really good. It's got uh, nice medicinal qualities, but today it would just be like, whatever, you know, people would more or less would pass it over, you know, cause it's not like super uh, flashy and tight buds and harder to grow. Yeah. it's, it's not like super loud or anything, but anyways, it, uh jordan uh i believe cross did the cross and the back cross with afghani and then came out with this a selection called called the uh, jordan's god bud and um that one's like super stinky it was it was popular for about five minutes before everyone realized it was the stinkiest plant going and everyone's and it was a really uh really low vigor to veg it out it was just took a long time to veg your plants up yeah um but it was it was super uh, stinky, and it had a nice rancid uh, old man pee pants yeah, yeah. with uh, with grape, grape some nice yeah. grape
0: flavors in there. Yeah, look, I've had some nice Godbud before, uh, just grown from seed, probably not the select clone, but it was nice stuff, I gotta say. But I did want to ask you because I've been wondering about this forever. This is a bit of a throwback one for you, C Ray, but um, the Gorilla Gold—that's that's an interesting strain. I think you were a part of the creation of that, were you? Do you, like if if so, can you give me some of the backstory on it? And as just a quick follow-up, I read rumors online that it involved um, Mighty
1: Might
2: in the breeding. Is that true?
1: Actually, uh, uh Scabby knows more about that one.
2: Um, yeah, yeah. Mighty, mighty Mighty Might Afghan would be. Mighty Mite Afghan early gold. So there was uh, Mighty Mite Afghan
1: and... Just to talk about the, the Mighty Mite Afghan seed line.
2: Okay, yeah. Like, uh, I guess the Mighty Mite was uh, growing around here a lot. It, it's a very, very tiny little short plant. and
1: uh, Yeah, it would grow like three feet. It was uh, semi-auto, so you keep your mum and veg, make a bunch of cuts, throw them out, and they'd only grow like three foot, one big stick. And you could grow it in a bunch of pots and put it in, you know, like uh, a, high, a drip system outdoors. Um,
2: yeah, it finished really quick. It was one of the quicker ones that people did so they could get it off to the market. But it didn't last very long. And uh, the guys were throwing the Afghanis around uh, at the time. And it, uh, yeah, they
1: they had that. Was it, a, you think it was a, um, the auto Afghan from Sensi Seeds that they threw into that? Or was it just because it was a mighty mighty? It's hard to say.
2: Yeah, it's hard to say because they were like dead grateful head, grateful dead uh, you know, hippies that just use various names like this is Afghan, but it could be, you
1: know. But yeah, anyways, they had a they had a, there was a seed line that was circulating around the the uh northern Gulf Islands yeah. of Mighty Might Afghan that they inbred. And, and
2: then it got crossed into this uh early gold cutting, which was a Himalayan. And it flowered really quickly, uh, a very sparse bud. Uh, and it would be one of the first ones we would cut down. In Are you summer. talking about the early gold? Yeah, the early gold, talking about the the Himalayan side of it. And,
1: and where did that come from?
2: A guy in Ontario, that's all I know. That's all I know about it. But I, all, all I know is Himalayan. And it made one of the uh, most uh, soupiest hashes, like meltiest hashes you've ever seen. It, like, stick to everything and. Uh, yeah, so the guys were just trying to find stuff that would uh, finish outside here, and uh, mixing all this stuff together. It uh, yeah, the early bramble became the
1: early. Oh, yeah, the first generation of Gorilla gold was called early, early bramble, bramble. Early yeah. bramble by Texada Island Seed Company. That w- who released it? Uh, Camaro Rick. Yeah, but it was it was Texada Island Seed Company patches that. Oh yeah, patchwork seeds. So that's patchwork right. seeds uh, through Mark Emery Seed. Bank. And kind seed, yeah, yeah. So that was the first generation of the Gorilla Gold, and then it got passed to breeder Brad in Ontario, and he did some work with it, um, and then he passed it to a guy in Manitoba uh, who went by Greens on a forum called Unleash the the Green, um, and then and then he sent he uh, sent me some seeds, and uh, I did some work with it. Which is kind of funny because it's it's originated here and then went across it came Canada.
2: right back to the same fucking spot. <laughs> yeah,
1: pretty weird. Yeah, we're right. We're pretty close to Texas. So. Interesting
0: stuff. Interesting stuff. I was also curious to know you're in one of your crosses. You use an island purple indica. Do you happen to know is that the same one that goes around like Washington and Oregon? The it's just called purple indica. I don't think so.
1: Yeah, i think that one's different because i was looking at it uh uh, uh inspecta grows it i think yeah yeah um it's different i'm pretty sure but yeah they call that they call it the perps or the vancouver island perps or the vancouver island purple indica ah. but i think it's just it's just a generic name you know purple indica i'm sure there's like a thousand purple indica cuts it's got really awesome candy smell and taste it's really beautiful
2: like, uh, but it's
1: yeah it's just um it's one of those plants that's just um real hard to grow it's too. a pain in the ass to grow and it's just there's a lot of easier things to grow and it was like a later finishing outdoor plant back then so it's just too late of a finisher nowadays <laughs> but it's still it's still around it's one of the old ones it's probably from the 90s if i had to guess
0: yeah okay. and there's still
1: people growing
2: up
0: Speaking of ones from the nineties, early two thousands, I think you're involved in the Willie Nelson with Reefer Man. Is is that true at all? And and I guess as a general follow-up, whether that's true or not, it's a pretty popular strain from everything I read, but like no one really seems to hold on to it anymore. Do you know why that might be?
1: Uh well, when you grow the seeds, you know, there's um variation um but we we got the we got the cup winning cup out of like growing a few f1s like a couple packs or two or three packs of f1s so um there's some good cuts in there
2: yeah, i like the lemony ones the the yeah the this sort of, like beautiful rusty lemonade or whatever
1: yeah there's some uh <clears throat> there's some ones that i classify as old lady perfume they've got this uh like uh very floral yeah smell but with this electric like lemon juice <laughs> smell in there
2: exactly.
1: there's definitely some good ones in there um the pm resistance wasn't the wasn't the best on those so you know i may, i don't know if that's part of it but also they're uh you know they're most people don't hang on to stuff that's more than 10 weeks flowering you know so that's a, probably a large part of it
2: and i never liked that vietnamese black mother <laughs>
1: yeah they're they're all right um there's definitely some good ones in there um but we yeah we also sent around that uh, the, the 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 cup cut and uh like i don't you know that was a long time ago yeah, things things get lost over time and like i was saying in the states uh um it's harder to, i think it's harder to keep cuts around there certainly
0: so from the breeding point of view how do you go about testing your males? One of our listeners was wondering, and specifically they wanted to know, like with the hazes, because you can see on your Instagram that you flower the boys out and you really like to look at them and that's great. And I guess they're sort of wondering, given that some of these hazes can go a long time, is there another way you do it or do you just like rough it out and you're like, I've got to flower this thing the whole way?
1: Well, we, uh when we initially grew those, there were six males and, um, uh... Like we, we like to do a good flowering of them and then just, and then constantly smelling them because those males are just constantly changing smells. Um, we just like get it right, get right in there and smell them, like try and get in there at the peak flowering, um, like just constantly smelling them every week. And uh, it's pretty obvious. Like when you go to the females, like the whole, the whole idea, um, doing selections and uh, inbreeding and like trying to pair the ones together that you like is uh you grow the females first and you find the females you like, and then you try and like get a good handle on what the smells coming off those are. And then you go look at your males and, uh, try and just try and match up those smells. I mean, as for the, from the point of view, trying to find the, the best, uh, you know, the best smells that might correlate to, those like the highest or that you're looking for. But yeah, we, so we, uh, we had six initially and then we selected three out of those. And then, um, we just crossed those, like those three males. We crossed to the, some of the other hay Um but then we, um, we, we still had the original three males, and then we, we stuck the three males outside. They were basically those, those six males. They segregated into two. There was two types. I would say two types. Um, one that was more lemongrassy and grassy, like the lawn smelling, and and uh, those were the ones that we didn't favor and the ones that we favored are more uh citrusy uh uh like tropical flowery they also had like this crazy onion smell on them as well um, which apparently i've been told that's that's a sign of a true like a good haze has that onion smell in it so there must be some weird uh terpene so yeah we stuck those three uh males like clones of those males outside um in like September, um, just to see what they would do. And, uh, there was one that was just like, it looked like it actually liked it outside. The other two were like, yeah, no, this sucks. We're not uh, meant to be growing in, outdoors in, in the coast of BC. Um, but the one guy was like, yeah, this is all right. Uh, and they were like, we, like, we grew out some of the the crosses with all three males and they were all like good like the ones that you could tell which ones came from each male, just on the nodal spacing and like the bud structure. Um, but the ones that had, they had like really nice bud structure outdoors and they were flowering, like the males were flowering pretty decently and they had, they actually had pretty good uh, mold resistance. Um, they're just uh, like, it's just a superior growing plant. Like the hives were the same and the player, like the terps were pretty similar, but yeah, the, The structure and everything—they're just way superior for growing, and they're like uh, a little bit faster finishing. Um, So eventually, we just uh, we got rid of the other two haze males and just kept that one to to breed with. And then we eventually um, we crossed that with. uh, There's a local cutting of the Seedsman original haze um, from one of our buddies back in the day that he gave us, and we crossed that with the uh, original haze our original hay stud male and we've just started growing out some of those and we're going to like continue forward with that as a line. And we just did a, uh, 50, we grew out like 50 seedlings and uh, there's like 30 females in there. And from those 30, we selected out two, but one is like superior for high wise. Mm -hmm. Um, they're both like, they both smell really good. Um, one's a little bit faster, but uh, like a little bit longer flowering one. That's the one we're going to use for, um, for doing some feminized crosses. So like we've done a bunch of these crosses with original haze males. So now we want to replicate those ones that worked out good with the, with the female feminized style
0: nice that's exciting you you actually managed to bang off a few questions i was going to ask you about what can we look forward to in the near future so that's exciting i guess we've just got a few patreon questions before we get to the final little quickfire ones we do with everyone i'd be interested to hear your answer to this one because you've got such a vast experience with it what is the best outdoor variety to you and what makes a strain good for outdoor from your perspective
1: it's worth growing <laughs> like it's good enough to smoke like a lot of outdoor stuff is in this day and age it's just like the standard is the standard is way higher than it was for us back in the day, so like we're in a tough spot for growing, and really we should just be growing everything in a greenhouse um but it's you know we're it's also nice to be able to breed or like grow something that just grows straight outdoors and gives you a really nice quality product, but it's like really really hard to pull that off here you got to grow a ton of plants and like you need you need to grow like thousands thousands of plants to ultimately like to come up with a good like really good outdoor strain that's worth growing that ticks all the boxes like a lot of outdoor stuff is just developed just to be uh mold resistant uh like good enough to finish and make it you know good looking product and like it's good, like, don't get me wrong, it's good medicine and stuff, but... um
2: It's not what people expect in the stadium.
1: Yeah, people are just are
2: over the... <clears throat> or, yeah, the whole outdoor thing died. It was like a really big community thing. Like, they want their quads and their their pence. It's all kind of just uh, faded away with the
1: market. Yeah.
0: Definitely a sentiment we've heard from other guests as well.
1: Ironically, in the legal market, there's now eight hectares of outdoor grown... Right grown for every hectare of indoor so the legal market is uh i think a lot of it just gets turned into oil and edible so it's uh like the carts the carts are huge in the legal market and the like the markups on carts are insane
0: so in your opinion what are some of the best varieties you guys offer for flower and what are the best for hash we've got some concentrate enthusiasts in our patreon crew and so yeah what what would you recommend for flower and what would you recommend for hash just in terms of your personally what you
1: like well all the uh, all the new Irene um, uh, uh, sorry all the new Iraqi crosses are getting good uh, good reviews so we grew a bunch of them they were all pretty awesome um like it all depends how, I, when people ask me, um you know, what do you recommend? I always ask first uh, how many, which, you know, what do you like to smoke and uh, what do you like to grow? Um How many will, weeks are you willing to go if you're into longer flowering stuff? So I don't, we're just, you know, we try to have a little bit of indica like faster flowering stuff, but our, our main focus is uh like longer flowering stuff. Um So I don't know if you're, like the question is, you know, are you, um, you willing? Are you a, a sativa enthusiast, or you know, are you sativa uh, curious?
2: <laughs> or you could break it down like this: you could break it down like uh, sativa strains and hash. They don't yield very well, so they're not going to be put into the market at all. People aren't going to try them a lot. You know, it's like a labor of love kind of thing, and. <clears throat> Where you have these fancy glassy cushions that make really good hash returns, you know, and uh, so you could you could break it up like that, uh, kind of thing. Yeah,
1: but we haven't like we haven't washed, uh, we haven't washed any of these Iraqi crosses yet.
2: Yeah, I want to. Be um, but
1: we're gonna do. Um, we got a we got a GMO and a form cut. So we'll do Iraqi uh, GMO form crosses. And those I'm sure those will wash. Yeah, they can't probably can't not wash i like that but well, we don't we don't uh like we're not ha- like we're not making hash so um uh, we're not washing stuff so that's not really our focus we um, do a lot of live resin right now so we get to uh yeah but at some point like it's it's definitely uh something that we have to do is because a lot of people are asking for it so you have to start washing a bunch of stuff. And like I'm trying to get stuff to people that want to do those test washes. So yeah, if there's people out there that want to do test washes, uh, maybe we'll slip you some test seeds.
0: Yeah, please, everyone, if you can get in touch. Uh one of our listeners said, um, be sure to ask C Ray, what's the backstory on his Jamaican?
2: Uh,
1: that's uh Scabby's story
2: um it came from a friend who was at the first uh, jamaican cannabis cup and it won the first jamaican cannabis cup
1: like 2006 or 2006
2: 7? or seven somewhere around there probably yeah negril uh uh the sea came out of the bud it was, came back to canada
1: he's, the guy's name was uh biggie or something like that
2: yeah on the beach or something yeah i think that was it yeah i can't remember right now yeah he brought it back to canada um there's a bunch of Benos and they all really had that pineapple skunky smell, but one of them had the high too, so ended up uh, keeping the one with the good high and the funky smell. And it's the only plant that like really stinks and veg for me, like really, really fucking reeks, you know? Um, yeah, it's got a really complex, interesting smell, but a beautiful plant, not a big yielder, but... Um, really good bud man if you if you want to
1: experience something
2: different you know uh super potent super potent
1: too yeah yeah it whacks you right in the third eye it's like getting hit with a baseball bat
2: yeah check that shit out it is good like that cross with the punahe is some of my favorites
1: you're making me remember now yeah
0: that sounds lovely
1: they are like they're really um for skunks they have some really beautiful uh uh fruity and floral uh there's smells in there like uh, like berry smells and uh, nice uh, rotting uh, like watermelons or something or not watermelons, but
2: super strong weed, super good weed, and if you ever get a chance, definitely grow it. You know?
0: And just to confirm, because I've seen you describe it on the site as uh, with the word skunk in there, the pineapple skunk. Do you think that it's like uh, a Jamaican quote land race that sort of happens to be like that, or do you think it's some sort of hybrid European influence? Something.
1: There's no, there's no such thing like nowadays as a Jamaican land race. No.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There's, uh, I mean, from what I can tell, there's guys save seed there, and uh, you know they don't. Um, there's not a lot of stuff left over from the glory days. So they it's, take what works and what they
2: like and they keep moving forward with it. You know, yeah. I like think that's the major mentality and uh, yeah, there's like some of them had the kicker high and some of them didn't. That's what it boiled down to really. I
1: mean, yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. So
1: sure. probably, it's probably a, uh, a mix of, uh, you know, various hybrids. Yeah, um, I would imagine. American. the.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: So another one of our listeners asked, would they be able to tell us a little bit about the highland Nepalese father that was in the Ganja Wise crosses? I have to admit, I'm not familiar with what they're talking about.
1: Uh, Ganja Wise are um, some friends of ours that run some of our stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's just the same uh, male that was used for Willie Nelson back in the day. I mean, not the same, but it was like done. But yeah, it's a... Um, skunky um it's very hashy like skunky uh like uh and kind of uh like it's it's really good it's like a really good uh representation of the of the old school uh nepalese shoe hash if you've ever had that um slightly uh citrusy um but it's one of the best it's one of the best traditional hashes i've ever had is the nepalese uh like they call it shoe hash because it came, think it was part of the shoes. Shoe, uh, like the, what do you call the heel of the shoe or something they would put? Or they.
0: Yeah, to press it.
1: Yeah. So let no, like they'd smuggle in shoes. I think they would, we were smuggled it as shoes or something like that.
0: That's interesting. Cool to hear. Cool to hear. I've asked you about the original Haze and the Gorilla Gold. The one other strain that got brought up a few times by our listeners was the YD. Can you tell me anything about that at all?
1: Yeah, it's uh, came from a guy called THC Development, and I got a. He was on uh, like Unleash the, the Green Forum, and uh, but he was selling it through um, the the uh, retail side of Unleash the Green Forum, um, uh, and it was uh, he said it was a White S one. But I like we grew out these whitey, uh, like they're called whitey. And he, the guy said it was uh, the white s ones um, that he like he made like he grew out some white s ones and he found a male in there, and uh, he did a back cross back to the white. He was able to get th- then. This is his story, um, like that, as I recall. Yeah, he he got a white the white uh, cutting and. Yeah, back crossed it with this male that came out of Kelly Connection, the white uh S1s. Um, and uh apparently like a lot of S1s, if you grow enough, there'll be males that pop out, like one out of every three or four thousand. So Yeah. I mean, I either it's like a like a male, one of those males, which I wouldn't be too surprised because it was kind of weird. There's some weird things about it. So yeah, we grew uh some of those, they were male, female seeds. Um, but I mean, it could have been just a uh, pollen contamination too. But yeah, it's a white, It's seven. it would be 75% the white uh, cut. But yeah, we grew out, uh, I think I got like three or four packs of those. Grew out a bunch of them. And we, like out of all those, we only found like uh, a couple, like a male and a female that we, that we really liked. Of those and we made more seeds But yeah, the cool thing was, this is a kind of an interesting story. And um, we had this carport uh that we were just keeping uh a bunch of our uh mothers um well, like in the winter time. We just had a carport with a light and like we just keep the light on um and that was enough heat to keep the thing in the winter. Like it would go down to goes uh, down to like minus 10 here in the winter um, Anyway, so I was, uh, we were growing this carport, and uh, one day I was in there, and I'm like, oh, bummer, there's some plants getting PM, um, and I just kind of ignored it, and then I went back. I'm like, damn, like, there's, like, PM starting to spread here, and I was just, like, uh, so busy at the time that, like, I just, uh, like, it wasn't a priority, because it was just, like, some extra cuttings that we didn't need, but we had, like, most of our uh, collection in there. Anyways, I'm, at one point I was like, yeah, this is kind of a waste. <laughs> like I was just going to chop them all down, start over. But then I thought to myself, like why don't we just like let it go and uh see uh see, like let it go and we can see um which plants have the best resistance and like we can kind of see as we go along um which plants are more resistant cuz they won't get like they'll like what are the plants that don't like that get PM the lot, you know. The like at the very end, which plants can hold out to the very end. It was like a very, um, very, it was like the epitome of a stressful environment. So (laughs) it's like, it was good. It was good in my mind when I saw what was happening. I was like, yeah, shit, let's just, let's just test all these plants and then see like the very, the, like the, the various uh, amount of PM resistance. Um, And so, yeah, we were able to like, uh, to, to like classify all the various cuts that we were holding, and uh you know, figure out like what's the what are the upper echelon plants for PM resistance. Like if you just let the, these plants go off. Anyways, in the end, there was a what our whitey male was completely PM resistant. There's like so much PM in there. Like, <laughs> I was just like, I was like so impressed. I was like, this this is like hundred percent PM resistance, at least to the the like. You know, like powdery mildew, um, they have what's called races. So, if you look at the uh, Washington State, they have a hops powdery mildew uh, breeding program, and they've uh, what they do in their breeding program is they have they uh, culture up their various hop powdery mildew races. So, it's the same same uh, subspecies of powdery mildew, but various like ones. That they've collected off various, uh, like the different hops, hops cultivars, and they, um, when they're breeding new hops, they introduce all those six or however many races, and they say, okay, yeah, they can like classify those plants and say this one is resistant to race one, two, three, and five, um, but not to six and and four, or whatever. But yeah, this this uh, this whitey was uh, like is like completely impervious. I'm like, damn, this is fucking crazy. (laughs) It's like, I never would have, I never would have figured that out if I didn't do that. You know, if we didn't do that.
0: That's cool. Only the strong survive.
1: We sent, uh, that we sent, uh, like some stems of that to, uh, Kevin McKernan at medicinal genomics. And he did a full, uh, genome, um, what do you call it? Genome scan, uh, sequence sequence yeah genome sequence on it it's like plant number 48 to have uh, to have its full uh, genome sequence so it was, uh, was kind of cool um and it's like public domain you can go look at it on your uh, database it was part of a uh, a paper uh i believe like three years or four years ago now with uh, like the like it had 47 we were like just we just submitted just after that. And he did a like he sent us the whole um the genetic, like the heat map that showed um like all the different genes that they figured were linked to PM and where the upregulating and downregulating was going on for the whitey plant, and it was like unrelated. Like you couldn't, the patterns were different than what they had already as confirmed as PM resistant. So he was a little bit skeptical, or he was saying that um, uh, people, like people, were ask, like questioning him about you know the various people that submitted PM resistance, PM resistant plants to that to like that um, project. Um, you know, like what's the, you know, what's your uh, standard, your like scientific like research uh, grade uh, standard setup? You know, like control. what's your control environment? <laughs> what's your criteria? You know, like like I I unfortunately I didn't take any pictures. Like I wish I would have had a bunch of pictures because I would have showed, you know, I would have been like enough. But um so I just because I didn't have any pictures, um uh it was it was just like he did like he didn't really he didn't really um I don't know if he believes that it was like fully PM resistance, but but uh I assure you that plant was PM resistant <laughs> and still is. It still exists. <laughs> Oh, yeah so we made um, we made uh, F2s from those and we haven't like dipped into those um, but we will at some point dip into those and apparently like we've sent those some of those F2s around and uh, people said they're like really nice. they make um, nice fat they're kind of like uh, the whitey kind of reminds me of that uh, South Florida OG Kush uh, style plant, but it's not like it's it's not really um, not it doesn't have like a super strong flavor to it, like a super like you don't go, wow, this is amazing. But it works pretty well in hybrids. Um, And it's it's kind of falls into one of those varieties that's kind of like uh, submissive in crosses. So it's like a good uh, a good. uh, Male for like crossing a bunch of stuff too without like dominating in the cross.
0: That's really interesting stuff. It almost makes me think that like maybe with that PM resistance stuff you just found a new mechanism through which it could be PM resistant. You know, it doesn't have to all come through the one sort of pathway. But there you go. That's cool. Have you ever seen it in any of the offspring?
1: Oh yeah. We grew a bunch out. Yeah, they're um the offspring are perfectly like you get everything from the the, uh, for PM resistance, um, you get everything from your target, uh, like plant to the, the male, like of PM resistance, like from the female, you know, baseline to like a hundred percent resistance, like you get everything in there. So yeah, at some point it'd be nice to, uh, to be able to like follow that line. And, um, uh, a friend of ours, uh, Dr. Uh, Philippe Henry, he does a bunch, he's done a, a shit ton of papers. Like you got to check him, check him out. Like he's done some really cool stuff. Um, he was, uh, he wanted to do uh, like a test, uh, like a study on, on the whitey um, using uh, what's called a SNP chip or a snip chip and SNP chip. Yeah, single nucleotide polymorphisms. Yeah. 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 That's right. <laughs> um, and he had a, uh, like he has like a, uh, a SNP uh, chip uh, template that he wants, like uh, he—I don't know, like I haven't follow, followed up on that. But basically, the idea would be to uh, throw it those F2s and um, like just do another s- similar situation where you just let the PM go all to hell, and then you um, take samples of everything, like stuff that's PM resistant and not PM resistant, and everything in between, and tri- like and then try and drop all those onto onto one of those uh, plates to get you know to see what the upregulating and down regulating of all the genes is and then like it personally I don't think I think after going through all of this I think the way that we selected like we found this PM resistant plant is a perfectly viable way to do it um like you can do all this stuff molecularly and and um but I think like doing, stuff like like doing what we did on the site is like superior you know it's superior in, man, in many ways because we're dealing with the real real world uh fun you know fungal inoculants uh, of our environment that exist in our environment full time
0: yeah yeah like real what do they call it like real evolutionary pressure so to speak but that's a that's a wormhole we could probably go down forever. We've we've actually just got one last question before we do the quick five to wrap up. We had a listener who wanted to know if you knew anything about the origins of Twixa, Twixer, T W I X E R. They said, "Oh, has it got something to do with butterscotch Hawaiian?" Yep,
1: it's a butterscotch Hawaiian F1 panel that we isolated. We grew it in. Um, actually, I was. I was working with Gonzoise in Quebec at that time, Southern Quebec. Um, so yeah, we grew out some Butterscotch Hawaiian. Grew out 250 of those F1s. And uh, yeah, it was one of the top venos. The reason it's called Twixer is because Twixer is Canadian slang for 26 ounce bottle of booze. And it was Venno number 26. And I just thought it was like, it kind of had a universal appeal, like, uh, like, it's just a common, in Canada, that's a common phrase from back in the day, like, go grab a Twixer, you know, like, pick up a Twixer, like, pick yeah. a Twixer, or whatever. It's just, like, a thing that everyone does, you know. Go party, grab a Twixer. Um, how about how about uh, I give just a little rundown on on our, like, uh, breeding slash venom selection process, because we didn't really um, cover that. I mean, we kind of covered it here and there, but...
0: Yeah, sure, now let's do it.
1: Okay, so, um, like, what we like to do is we like to start off um, let's say we're um we we're growing something that we've that's from outside of our uh like seeds that we haven't made or grown before, like something we bought, and purchased, or um traded for or been gifted. Um we'll you know we'll grow um depending on how many seeds we have, if like if we have a limited amount, if we have three packs, for instance, or four packs, we grow those out, um, take like cuttings of everything. Um, and just uh, like, like nowadays we like to just hold on to the males then uh, flower out all the females, uh, smoke all the females, um, like try and classify them, um, select out the ones we like, and then we'll do the, take the cuttings of the males, flower them out. Um, and I like, try and do like a good smell evaluation. And actually what we like to do, what we've been doing for the past few years is, when we go to transplant those male cuttings into, uh to flower them out, we like to smell the roots, the roots of the males. So not only do we smell the stems, we smell the roots as well, because the roots are actually, if you get in there, you'll smell there's some, um there's some really like strong terpenes that are coming off the roots, and they might not be like perfect representation, but um they just give you more information, um like about the the smells so yeah like with our iraqi when we grew them out um we uh we did when we went to put the females or the males in the flower we had uh you know we had like 30 males or whatever and uh so we just went through all the males and smelled, did like stem rubs and uh and um root sm- like smell smell all the roots and just chuck the bunch just because basically just smell the ones that are like a the, the loudest ones because. That's like the old timer wisdom is just you don't mess, don't mess around with males that don't aren't loud as fuck. That's like the old timer wisdom. But and you know, we'll be a little more sophisticated and we'll try and pair up males that um are similar to the, the females that we prefer. So um and yeah, we'll flower out all those. Um we'll collect pollen from the males that we want, and then we'll go take that pollen. Like, go get our, um, this is all like ideal, what we do in ideal circumstances. Like, we're not obviously not able to do this all the time, but it's just kind of like the evolution of like how we're doing things and how we like to do things. So, yeah, we'll, we, uh, we'll collect a bunch of pollen and like we've, uh, we have a, um, a vacuum pollen collector that we hook up to a vacuum cleaner that has like, uh, it's got like a two screens on it. So it's got, uh, it's just like, uh, just some plumbing stuff like plumbing unions um i'll make a post about it on instagram one day again um but yeah it's got uh paper filter discs to collect the pollen on that are like 25 we got like 25 micron holes or something but they'll collect all the pollen so we can like vacuum individual plants and collect that pollen onto a paper disc and then take that disc and put it into a into like uh, t- little Tupperware containers with some silica uh, desiccant beads, color-changing silica desiccant beads, um, and then just let the pollen dry out for like a week in there. And then you can also see like if the beads are changing color, then you got to change them out to get all that moisture out of the pollen. Um, and then um, take that pollen back, vacu- like put it in. Uh, like, make some little vacuum seal bags and like vacuum seal that stuff and uh, like label it all, stick it in the freezer. Um, and trying to like, before doing all that vacuum seal, try and split it up into it. So you have a bunch of different, uh, like, mail number 17 will have like, you know, like three little packets. So that each time we open up the pollen, there's enough to do a bunch of pollination and we don't have to worry about spo- spoiling all the pollen. We don't have to worry about opening up. Like exposing all the pollen um, to oxygen, etc., um, and then yeah, make a bunch of seeds, um, and then grow out the seeds and do the whole thing over again. Out of
0: curiosity, how long have you been able to store pollen for successfully?
1: In the free in the freezer, um, I don't know. Like, I think you have to like. I want to at some point. I want to uh, do kind of a figure out with a a pretty decent microscope when you desiccate the pollen i want to be able to look at it under a microscope and be able to tell when it's like look at it and see it shrinking down because i think that's kind of like um be kind of interesting to see to try and optimize the curing of the pollen to get it so that it doesn't over you don't overdry it um but like skunkman says you can keep pollen it'll keep for 10 years or something i don't know if like um, it's probably 0.01% vitality after after 10 years, but if you got a, a billion pollen grains, yeah, you only need 0.01%. Um, wow. But in the fridge, it's only like uh, it's only like six months to a year in my experience in the fridge. Um, and you got to be really good about like making sure there's desiccant in with in with your pollen in the fridge because it's a moisture environment.
0: Yeah, certainly. I've heard that. I, I've heard people struggling with any more than, say, six to 12 months.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: definitely. Interesting. And how do you go about doing your testing of strains? How many seeds do you pop? What size pots do you grow them out in? Is there a standard protocol or just sort of whatever fits at the time?
1: Uh, Well, we try to grow at least one pack for testing in-house, um, but ideally like two packs because then yeah, it's just a little better sample size. Um, and then just, uh, just start them like uh, I just tend to start them in little like little cells and then just go through like a bottom to like number one pot number two pot. Um, and then it all depends like how much veg time we have till the next crop like till the next room is available. So, so I kind of kind of variable but minimum we'll grow them for, for to six weeks before popping them in flour. um it's, it's kind of what you want to do anyways you want to get them let them get sexually mature um and then yeah just generally flowering them out in five gallons and up five or ten gallons usually in like pods in the organic mix with water yeah lots of water and then, um, if we see, uh, like, we're looking for the major things we're looking for when we do testing is number one is, is this a plant worth growing or is this like a seed line worth growing? Is there going to like, if people grow a pack, are they going to find something worth growing? At least one plant that's like worth keeping. And, uh, the other thing is like, is there, like, if we grow, do we find more than one intersex plant? One intersex plant is, you know, cause we deal with a lot of sativa stuff is, um, I would consider it acceptable, you know, if it's like one intersex out of two packs, maybe, you know. Um, but if we get more than that, then it's like, okay, yeah. Gotta, you know, it's like, you know, it's too much. But generally, we don't actually, like, we don't see a lot of intersex in most of our stuff. Like, surprisingly, it just kind of blows my yeah, mind. Yeah, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Um, so, our males, you know, our male, like, when we evaluate males, one of the things we do is we just like to keep the male around in like beds for years. Yeah, I'll keep it in beds for like a year or two years because um, you can see a lot, you can learn a lot about the male just by keeping it around and, and um throwing it into flower, you know, flowering them off occasionally. And, and just checking for like, uh, cause they, even after a year, they'll start spitting out pistols. Like they'll be like, Ooh, they just like start for some reason they just get, you know, they'll get stressed out after a year. Cause we, you know, we like to evaluate uh, what plants do in clone form you know, more so than what they do in seed farm because, uh, you know, ultimately most people are growing from clone. Not most people, but a lot of people.
0: Definitely robust conditions there for sure. On to our final five questions for the episode. So I guess we'll maybe probably need to get separate answers for each of these. But first one being, what is the best or most memorable cannabis smoke or experience you've ever
2: had?
1: Oh my God.
2: I'll tell you one, I I was making brownies out of like, I was maybe like, uh, 21 or 22. I was making some brownies out of some sativa bud that, and I wasn't really familiar with sativa at that time. And, uh, I had done LSD a few times before that and, uh, yeah, I ate enough butter that I was having a full out LSD experience off of cannabis. So yeah, memorable for sure. Yeah. I had, I
1: actually had a similar experience where I was making this one, uh, Summer I made a bunch of uh, weed granola. And I just uh <laughs> I just I got a little carried away uh, eating it and I was thinking, yeah, this is all right. And I'm um, thinking, yeah, I wonder how much of this stuff I can eat before like, you know, like what's the maximum amount I can eat? And I ate a bunch of that and I like I was high for a solid 24 <laughs> hours. <laughs> I remember I remember like at one point I was just like spinning out of control. But I mean that's not I mean that's not like super profound or anything. That was just like, what happens in when you eat too much THC as a younger person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, um, as far as like,
2: what was? Uh, oh, memorable shit would be like Vancouver and uh, like around the t- like around that two thousands era. with like getting high down there with some of the people that would come into town and stuff. Those lots of really good memories. That was a really special era in that time. What was going on there? at Cannabis culture with Greg Williams and Mark Emery, and uh, yeah, lots of really good memories of like fighting, fighting for right.
1: But as far as like profound smoking, he's thinking of like like
2: four twenty, it brings to mind you know just like uh, being around a lot of people and. Uh,
1: but what's uh like? What I think maybe the question so is, what's the weed you smoke that fucking pop your top? Everything. <laughs>
0: There you go. Definitely interesting memories right there. And if we go to the other end of the spectrum, what is the most disappointing experience in terms of something where like your friends had hyped it up, everyone's really keen on it, you tried it and you're like,
1: is that it? Uh, this one time I grew um, some Cali Orange that I got from Emory Seed Company and like we were, uh, I was just, this was when I was new to the scene and, um, it was just one of the strains I was going around. So we just thought it was the best shit ever. Um, cause it was growing commercially. Um, anyways, so I grew some of this, uh, Cali orange and, uh, yeah, my grabbed a bud and, uh, my, my uh, roommate rolled some up and we like rolled up the biggest fatty, we smoked it and they looked at each other, like no effect. <laughs> <laughs> like what the hell is going on here but in retrospect that was probably a high CBD fennel like oh, that yeah. you know it's probably some you know I had the same experience with that I was like uh, yeah As but it, maybe you're thinking of like what's the what's the variety of weed that was hyped up so high and then you went to smoke it and then
2: cookies is one
1: for me yeah where you're like oh this yeah. is all it is oh. you're talking for him for yeah <laughs> Yeah, like farm cookies kind of gets old fast. Like if you're smoking it for a
2: yeah, it's like that three day smoke. You know, you smoke it more than three days and it's no good, right?
1: Oh, the, for the tolerance you're yeah. thinking. Yeah. What about uh, East Coast sourdoughs? What do you think of that? I put it in a similar category. For sure. Yeah, it's 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 got a really like super pronounced uh, flavor and like really strong flavor. It's got a nice flavor. It comes out really well in the oil. Yeah. But um. The high is uh, just not. It's not very like uh, uh, like a sophistic like interesting. Yeah, yeah. I not so, mean. I was gonna say sophisticated, but that's not the word. Like, uh, yeah, it's kind of boring. It's kind of yeah, and it it just seems to like fairly easy to build a tolerance to the. Yeah, each are like it's nice to have like some other weed when you have that stuff in my like in my experience.
0: Great, so the next question we have is a fun one. I'm going to drop you off on a desert island for the rest of your life where you can grow as much weed as you want, but you can only take three strains with you. They can either be cuttings or seed lines if you're confident and you like, nah, bring on males. Um, what three things am I going to leave you with?
2: Oh, shit.
1: Well, definitely got to be a Colombian in there. Yeah, definitely have to
2: be a Colombian for sure. I'd have to have a Thai and probably some, Afghani. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. There you go. Colombian Thai Afghan or Pakistani maybe instead. But yeah, like like seed lines with a bunch of variation in them. Like you know, like a nice Colombian with the more the better. Yeah, with like each bag would have like ten thousand seeds in it.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure
0: um so on the other end of the spectrum you're gonna drop someone else off onto the island someone you're not a fan of what are you what are you gonna leave them with
1: oh some lowrider for sure fucking lowrider definitely yeah <laughs> and something with a lot of intersects in it oh a lot of intersects. yeah but it's like it would be like a hamstring. strain finally by the time you finally grew it out you realize Oh, shit, it's got no THC in it. What
2: the heck? Or it's like really sneaky intersects. It's like hidden right at the very bottom leaf underneath. Or, or in the center of each bud. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's great. That's great. All right, on to the final question for our interview. If you had a time machine and you can go back to any place, any point in history to presumably collect either some seeds or a cutting, where would you go and what are you collecting?
2: Ooh, uh, pre-Soviet uh, invasion of Afghanistan, all through there in that hash-making area, that would be super fun. Um,
1: and maybe we—what about going back to like, like hundred million years? Oh, gee, yeah. And going, can we go to like a planet serious to like Sirius B, or Sirius B star? <laughs> yeah, I think I'd go to I'd go to. We'll go to the like the Sirius, like when they were loading the the spaceships up with cannabis to send to, to to the Earth. Let's go there, and then we could like smoke all that stuff and like pre-select it before it went to Earth.
0: <laughs> What's this all about? Is cannabis was a gift from someone else?
1: Yeah, that's what the isn't that the Nomo with the Nomo yeah, say? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, the the Princess of
2: of uh, Sirius B. That's right. That's, That's where the cannabis came. The, from. It was a gift from
1: her,
2: yeah. Yeah. And so we go there. We go and hang out with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So with that being said, I think that just about brings us to the end of it. Were there any general comments or shout outs you wanted to give or make?
1: For shout outs, um, we'll shout out the whole uh, like white buffalo crew, like uh Ganja-wise. 203 Grower. 203 Grower. You just uh just gotta look at our followers list, I guess, to get the spellings. Uh X Grower, uh, Tree Frog Medicine, Canada Dank. Um Louis Poncho. Yeah, LD Poncho. Mostly Canadians. Um, I'm sure there's a bunch of guys. I don't want to miss anyone. Yeah. Those are most of our main homies. we collect with
0: i was about to say don't worry everyone inevitably forgets one or two people off the list so not to not to worry too much about that well you know again a huge thank you for coming on the show both C-Ray and scabby of white buffalo seeds for sharing all the knowledge a bit of uh, your plans for the future as well as some cool stories about some great cultivars thank you so much again
1: also um uh, if you want to check out Scabby's Instagram, it's uh, Hop Hop Extracts X O P X O P Extracts, and uh, uh, White Buffalo Seeds is with a Z at the end because I lost my uh, I got uh, reported too many times. That's my original account with an S at the end. And uh, Hope Hope is pronounced Hope Hope with like
2: a uh, W like a W H sound. It's not the X. Yeah, Hope
1: Hope. It's a uh, the local word for hummingbird around here. But yeah, it's also like everyone pronounces that differently. Hope,
2: yeah, hope. some people say hope hope. Some say whoop whoop. You know, some uh, say zop zop. Some say zops zop. zop. I, I, yeah, but it, I like hope, 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 hope It's universal.
0: Hope hope. I like that. Well, again, thanks so much, guys.
1: Cheers! Thanks for the interview. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, it was quite painless. It was Thank nice. <laughs> nice too. It's a, it's kind of nice to look back. You know,
2: like it's it's weird yeah it's weird looking back and realizing all this shit you know yeah like
1: like so much has happened um and and it just seems like time flies and um hopefully the future of cannabis is as big as we can
2: imagine it you know that's the only thing i hope you kids you know grab those plants and get fucking growing
1: (laughs) yeah yeah it'd be nice to um i'd like to hook up with you for an update in the future because we got some cool shit coming up in the future that's like uh we got some, like, really cool shit going on in, in hemp fiber and uh, just, like, uh, some growing some sativas in the tropics and doing some, like, selections in the tropics and shit like that. And we got guys testing our shit out in, uh, like, high, high desert, Southern California and, like, Oklahoma and shit. So, yeah, there's lots of cool shit coming up.
0: There you have it friends, the end of part two. What a killer episode from the crew from White Buffalo. Huge shout out for coming on the show. We appreciate you so much, just like we appreciate our sponsors. Seeds here now, best in the industry. You know them, you love them. Check them out. All the hottest breeders, all the latest drops, everything you could want if you're trying to pheno hunt the next big winner. But in order to do that, you need to keep your garden happy and healthy. And to do that, you need to go buy... Check out our good friends at Copet Biological Systems. They have everything you need to keep your garden happy and healthy, pest and pathogen free. Check out the Afiparam if you need to combat some aphids or check out the Vital if you've got spider mite problems. It's always good to release some prophylactically, then you never have an issue. What does that mean? It means release them before there's a problem, guys. Get on top of it. Copet Biological Solutions. Copet Biological Systems. Best in the game. Likewise, shout out to our newest sponsors, Pulse Sensors. You know them for their amazing smart sensors. They're helping you fix all the hidden problems that are holding your crop back. Their data logging and display shows you exactly what's going on in your garden across the entire lifetime of the plant, and it's going to help you to dial in your next harvest to be the best to date. I'm serious, guys, I got them in my garden. If you want to get serious about your growth, get Pulse in your garden. No matter what the size is, they're going to help you fine-tune your grow and achieve the best results possible. Big shout-out to Pulse sensors. Likewise, shout-out Simply Souvenirs, an incredible seed bank based out of the UK, stocking only the highest quality breeders, as well as a range of smoking accessories, and a whole lot more. Please check out their site. They've got so many amazing products on there. You're gonna be surprised you hadn't heard of them already. If you're in the UK or Europe, check out Simply Souvenirs, your one-stop premium boutique seed and accessory store. Thank you so much, guys, Simply Souvenirs. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Huge shout out as always to the Patreon gang. We love you so much. You're the lifeblood of the show. If you want to help support the show, please go check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash the podcast. You will get access to episodes early, totally unheard content. Thank you so much, Patreon. We love you. From the Upside Down Library, this is Heavy Days checking out.
1: I see you.